I'm going I'm to pray, and then we'll begin. Lord, as we begin this new class, not just ours, but the others that are starting, we pray that you would use these to equip and grow people as they follow Christ, and specifically on parenting, um, that you would use this to, to shape the parenting in, in this local church so that it uh, reflects what your word says and honors you and is a blessing to the kids and parents alike. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. Well, thanks for jumping in. I want to give a bit of an introduction to this class. Uh, it's one that I'm excited for, uh, but, but honestly somewhat nervous when it comes to different things to teach. Um, I'm excited because obviously parenting is important. And, and I, have, I have a lot to learn as a parent, and I'm excited. I'll be co-teaching this with Lauren, and we'll talk about that here in a moment, how that's going to look. But I'm excited to learn from Lauren and from others that speak on this. So I'm excited on that. I'm nervous because in many areas of life, I recognize my, my weaknesses, and I feel like parenting is a way that that's kind of put on display often more. And, and you guys see my kids. You know my kids. You know my family. And, and, and so it sort of like puts on display in a way that, um, yeah, it could make me nervous. I, honestly, I felt like, I felt a lot more confident teaching parenting classes when our kids were like three years old, right? And, and, and as, as we've kind of gone through this path, our kids now, we have four kids from 17 down to nine, is I've just realized how much I have to learn. I've realized how, how much is out of our hands. We can be faithful and we ought to be faithful, but there's so much we just need to entrust to the Lord. And parenting sort of, reveals that truth that we know in other aspects of life, but it really kind of comes to a focus here. And so, so there's a, a nervousness, honestly, that, that comes from that. Here's a little bit about how the format of this class is going to, going to work. Uh, Lauren and I will co-teach, and you'll, you'll hear from Lauren here in just a moment. Most of that time, what that will mean is we'll alternate weeks. I'll teach sometimes, he'll teach sometimes. Sometimes, like today, we'll, we'll split that. We'll each take a little bit of time today to, to teach. Um, but we'll also have several different panels along the way, because we, we think, and maybe you guys will agree, that it can be really helpful to be able to ask and interact with parents that are maybe just one or two stages ahead of where you're at, uh, just to get input from others on, on practical things, and, and we think there's other wise parents that you guys can learn from uh, in that. So, so what we'll do is we'll teach on something for a couple weeks, a few weeks, and then we'll do a panel specifically related to that, but it can be more broad. So we'll teach on discipline, let's say, for a couple weeks, and then we'll have a panel um, where we can interact with other parents on, on the topic of discipline. And you guys can ask questions. And then if it ranges beyond that, of course, that's okay, too. And then we'll do the same with teaching. We'll talk about how to teach and instruct your kids, and then we'll have a panel that relates to that. And so, so hopefully you'll be able to, to hear from some other wise parents along, along the way that, that will make this even more, more practical. So today, though, will just be a little bit of an, an introduction. I'll do part of this, and then Lauren will as well. Um, let me start it, start it this way. Several years ago, our, our family was on uh, a family vacation. And as often happens on vacation, the sleeping arrangements were uh, like less than ideal. We were packed in, in one room and sleeping on the floor and on a bed and different things. And I remember we were... Uh, Sarah and I were, were sleeping on the floor on this air mattress, and one of our kids that was four years old at the time just like kept sitting up, getting up, moving, doing things, not just like settling down and over and over again. And, and, and eventually I just had to say, it. I said, honey, you, you need to lay still and you need to be quiet. It was kind of like a stern dad voice. You need to lay still and be quiet. And she like flopped down on the bed, 
and she laid still. But, but you know, if you're a parent, you know this experience. Like, even though it's quiet, you're like, they're thinking about something, right? And you can just see it, even in the darkness. And so eventually, her little four-year-old voice, I heard her say, how come you get to be the boss? Uh, and what would you say on that? What, to, 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 I mean, a toddler, a four-year-old, a teenager that asks, how come, you, how come you get to be the boss? How come you get to be in charge? Is it, is it because you're bigger? Is it just because you said so? Is it because you know what's best? What is it in that moment? I think that gets to sort of the, the parenting challenge. What are these roles? Parent-child. What type of authority goes into that? How do you interact with the child on these things? How do you help the child to grow and see this as good as part of God's design? So, so today what we'll talk about is some perspectives on parenting uh, that I'll cover, and then I'll turn it over here to, uh, to Lauren. And we'll, we'll move through this kind of quick. Our, our hope is that most classes will provide lots of time for, for interaction. There'll be a little bit today, but with a compressed timeline, with introducing things and with the service that went a little long, we'll have less time for interaction here. So I want to talk about the goal of parenting first. What would be be a goal for parenting? What would be a goal that maybe some people might express or feel, or you might feel sometimes, but you recognize maybe it's kind of an inadequate goal? So how would you answer this question? What's the goal of parenting? Everywhere from maybe inadequate but common answers to what might get a kind of a better answer. How would you answer that? What is the goal of parenting? Say, Julie. Yeah, raising godly adults. That's a great goal. Yeah. Yeah, in fact, that's going to fit well with some of the stuff we would do. What are some other ways that maybe it's, what are some other common goals that you think, that's ah, not quite as good as that goal, but it's maybe pretty common? Huh? Guiding. Yeah, so guiding is maybe a good word with it. Uh-huh. Yeah, Grace? Yeah. That's great for them to know God and to see them practically see you practically doing it in your life. Yeah. Justin. Yeah. Yeah. It's great. Raise kids with a biblical worldview, a biblical foundation, so that as they grow, they kind of know where that comes from. Yeah. You guys have expressed some, some great things, and they're going to fit well with what we're doing in class. I think all too often, the goal that's sometimes expressed, but even if not expressed, at least kind of felt, is I just want happy children, or I, I want to just get through this next day, right? Or, or I, I just... I want to kind of this immediate crisis I want to solve. It's a temper tantrum. It's an anxiety attack when they're older. It's, you know, whatever it might be. I just want to solve this. I just want peace in our home. And so we end up with kind of these minor things that are sometimes good, sometimes, sometimes not. Uh, but, but they lose track of the big goal. And so as we think of the big goal, I think of, this is Galatians 4.19. In a context not of parenting, but of discipleship, 
But he uses parenting language. He says, my children, with whom I am again in labor until Christ is formed in you. This idea of, I want to see Christ formed in a disciple of Christ and, in that sense, in our kids. We want to see Christ formed within them as they grow. Ted Tripp puts it this way. The central focus of parenting is the gospel. You need to direct not simply the behavior of your children, although, of course, there's times we're directing behavior with correction and stuff, but not simply the behavior of your children, but the attitude of their hearts. Therefore, your parenting goal cannot simply be well-behaved children. Not simply. Again, we want well-behaved children, but not simply. Your children must, be, must also understand why they sin and how to recognize internal change. There's a, a bigger goal than merely behavior, although there's issues of behavior, certainly, that we're working on. We need to distinguish, in this sense, between the goal, my goal for my parenting task, and my desired outcome. My, my goal for my parenting task is to be faithful to God's word by his grace, for his glory, and my parenting duties. That's, that's, like, that's something that I'm responsible for, faithfulness in this task. My desired outcome certainly is that my kids know Christ, that they become mature adults, functioning adults that can honor God in this world. That's what we're working towards. Some of that's out of our hands, right? Like we, we can't fully control what they will be like as adults because they're interacting and responding as image bearers of God with sinful natures, embracing or pushing away from that. And, and so that's our desired outcome, and yet we can't fully control that. But we can be responsible for what the Lord has, has placed on us uh, to be faithful to this task. And that's what gets at one of the main challenges, I think, of parenting, is recognizing that there's foolishness bound up in the heart of a child, as Proverbs would say. There's a sinful nature that they're wrestling with. There's limits to what we can do. We can, we can discipline, we can instruct, we can guide, we can correct. Uh, and yet they're going to be responding to that. And, and so there's limits there, and every parent bumps up against that and recognizes it. But there is hope. And the hope of parenting, among many other things, is that God has revealed many things about parenting in this world. And one of the things that Lauren will talk about is we don't have a detail sometimes in ways that we might want detail, but we've got certainly some big picture things that give us hope. We know that God's word has given us everything we need for every good work. So 2 Timothy 3, 16 to 17, all scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, correction, training, and righteousness, so that the man of God, in that case the woman of God as well, may be adequate, equipped for every good work. Is, is parenting a good work? It is. And so there's a promise here that we can be adequate and equipped for every good work, not because we saw it modeled perfectly in our own home. Not because we got the latest and greatest book, but because God's word reproves, corrects, instructs, equips us. There's a stewardship of parenting as we think about this big picture stuff. I know I'm kind of moving through this sort of quick. There's a stewardship here. Steward is one who cares for something that belongs to another. We often think of it in terms of finances. God provides finances to us, but they're his. We're stewards, using them in a way that honors him. But the same could be said of children. Even they share your genetic code, if they've 
You know, if they're biological rather than adopted, if they're adopted, they're brought into your home and, and they feel like ours, but they ultimately are God's. And I, and I want to look at kind of an unusual passage maybe to support this. It's kind of a horrific one. It's one in Ezekiel where he's warning them about child sacrifice. But I want you to notice the language in here. It says, moreover, you took your sons and your daughters whom you had born to me, sons and daughters born to me, and sacrificed them to idols to be devoured. Were your harlotries so small a matter? You slaughtered my children and offered them up to idols. Just that language, even again, it's a horrific passage about child sacrifice, and yet the language in there, he says, these are children born to me. They might be yours, but they're born to the Lord. And, and even describes them as my children. So the children that you're raising, if you're in that task still, are, are the Lord's. And because they're the Lord's, there's a stewardship there where we cannot just do whatever we want with them. We are responsible to raise them in a way that honors the Lord, at trusting him to work in their lives. And so that gets at the responsibilities of parenting. And so this whole class really will be walking through that, these responsibilities, because if our goal is, I want to be faithful to these responsibilities with the hope that God will use my faithfulness, as flawed as it is, to bring maturity to these kids when they're adults so they have a biblical worldview, so that they know Christ, so that they're equipped for adulthood. That's what I want, but what I can do is be faithful to those responsibilities. And so a few key passages that we can't avoid when we talk about parenting will be here, Deuteronomy 6, 6-7. to These words... In that case, it's the words of the covenant, which I'm commanding you today shall be on your heart. It starts with God's word being on, like, my heart, on your heart, on the parent's heart. You can't pass on what you don't know. And so, so that you have a living and vibrant relationship with God yourself, you shall teach them diligently. Diligently. It literally has the idea of over and over again to your sons. And shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise up diligently, so with an intentional plan, and just conversationally. If the only time your kids, your kids hear you talk about the Lord is when you're rushing them out to the door on Sunday morning, um, when you have a formal Bible time, which you know, is, is good to do, you open it up, but they don't hear you applying it in just everyday real life, then they won't see it as just part of all of life. Ephesians 6.4, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. There's a do not here, which we'll spend time talking about. But bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Disciplining them, correcting them, instructing them, leading them, guiding them. And that's our responsibility, to bring them up in that way. Recognizing there's a part of it only the Lord can do. And then one more, 1 Timothy 5.8. If anyone does not provide for his own, especially those of his household, he has denied the face and is worse than an unbeliever. I bring this in there, and, and here he's talking about providing for your own, your household, and in this context he's even talking about adults who are dependent upon your care. But the, the, the Bible does talk about not just the spiritual requirements we think of as disciplining and instructing, but just the practical providing, meeting needs. That is, that is part of our responsibility, absolutely. But of course what we'll be primarily focusing on in this class would be Discipline, instructing, preparing them for adulthood, how to do that in concrete and in kind of informal ways. So I'm going to turn it over now to, to Lauren. I told him I would give him 20 minutes, and I, and I did. All right.
All right. Thank you, Dan. So when he asked me to co-teach this class with him, I was both honored and terrified. We'll find out soon enough if that was a mistake. But what a, what a pleasure to be here. A um, little bit of background about myself uh, and Kristen, my wife right there. Raise your hand, my, my better half. She's responsible for remembering the things I can't. In fact, just a minute ago, right here, I messaged her and I said, our oldest just turned 25, right? Because those numbers, they just, I can't seem to hold on to them. So seven kids, 25 down to 14, almost 15. Uh, we had four girls and then felt called by God to go to Ethiopia and adopt three more. So we got two more uh, daughters and a son. And uh, we said, so that's seven. And uh, it's, been a, it's been a fantastic, fantastic journey um, of parenting. I'll tell you right now, I don't, I don't have all the answers. Uh, and, you know, your mileage may vary, as they say. The things that I will share, it's, it, they're not going to be a, a cookie-cutter perfect fit for every situation. Especially where um, children come into this world and in their early days they experience trauma. You know, sometimes they're called children from hard places. Some of the things we'll talk about uh, even in the next 13 weeks, you know, have to be filtered through the fact that that, that is a game changer, very much so. Uh, Brian and Sherry McLaughlin, our friends right here, raise your hands. You're going to be hearing from them also as we go, probably as part of our panel, and they have a lot of experience in that area. So um, more than one of our teen daughters have come to us and actually said, you know, I, I can't imagine going through what I'm going through without parents like you guys. To, to talk to, to bounce ideas off, to get wisdom. And, and I don't say that to puff us up. Um, I say that because I think that's one of the, kind of one of the sub-goals that we're after where parenting is concerned. We want our children uh, to grow up to be uh, adults that are, you know, strong in their faith and are effective for the Lord, but we also want that relationship with them. We really want to be uh, you know, someday, uh, you know, we, when we start and they're very young, it's all about kind of micromanaging their every decision. You know, we are fully engaged, hands-on all the time. And then as they, as they you know, grow and mature, uh, we have to do less of that until they're young adults and we're doing very little of that and we start to draw alongside them more as uh, counselors, um, as, as speakers of wisdom into their life and then ultimately as they're adults and they no longer need us to be parenting them, they become friends, and that's something that we're all, we're all trying to accomplish. But that number one main goal that, that Dan talked about is, you know, we want to raise up adults who, who love, glorify, and honor, as in obey, God. That is the obvious overarching goal of parenting. And Dan shared some great scriptures, and we've probably all heard them when we've thought about parenting. But as many of us have lamented, there's not a lot of detail in Scripture. You know, that day-to-day, -day, okay, what do I do now? That's, that's really tough. I wish there was, but there's not. So what do we do? We, we take the principles that we find in Scripture and we adapt them to parenting. Uh, we, we take the truths of, of who God is and His character. We, we, talk, uh, we take, you know passages about relationships and, and sin and upright living and we we sort of distill and boil those down and we apply them to parenting and along the way because we're having to at least to some degree improvise this you know we pray that our our heavenly father the ultimate father would give us wisdom as we go through that process so if we are to see our children you know grow up to become those those adults that are loving and serving glorifying god i think we have to kind of start with two real world goals and that's really what i'm going to be focusing on today and they're the only you know line items in the bottom of the the handout we're going to keep it kind of simple i think we need to give them accurate pictures of of two things i think we need to give our children an accurate accurate picture of who god is and they need an accurate picture of how his world works 
works. See, kids get their earliest impressions of who God is based on their parents. Now, I find that very sobering and a little scary at times. So you basically play the part of God. You represent God in your family's real-world, day-in, day-out drama. So when the curtain comes up or the cameras roll, how do you do in that role? So if you play the part of God in a way that's unresponsive, unloving, harsh, it's much harder for your child to believe in a responsive, caring, loving God. If a child grows up in a household that's devoid of rules, clear expectations, and consistent discipline, then it's hard for them to imagine a God of order, a God who blesses those who obey him and punishes those who don't. And if you don't use loving authority to train a child to obey from their earliest days, they may never recognize or respect God's authority. And if our kids end up with a warped view of authority, either ours or God's, it could take them years to shed that. They may never actually see the truth. So that's where it gets a little scary. This is a, this is a heavy thing, the thought that we represent God. How do we do at that? So luckily, we have examples. So in Hebrews 12, 7, we read, Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? So God treats us as his children, and he disciplines us with love. So we emulate, we copy, we do our best to take what we see and how God relates to us and pass that down to our children. And we do that by modeling God's characteristics and his character. We try to do that to the best of our, you know, very limited abilities. And sometimes we're trying to do those that are counter to our nature. See, if you err toward stern discipline, how well do you model God's compassion and his grace, his softer side, you've heard it said. And if you've got the compassion and love thing dialed in, how do you handle discipline in a way that's consistent with how God views sin and its consequences? Tough questions. So if your children look for God in you, that happens especially when they're younger. And as they grow up, they, they will and should have more godly influences come into their lives. But God's plan is for you to be the main conduit through which his truths flow into the life of your child. You are essentially God's ambassador to the children. So as ambassadors, how accurately are we reflecting God to our kids? Now, have you ever wondered, you know, if Christ himself were standing here, how would he handle this? I've thought that before, and, and some have actually joked that the only reason Christ remained sinless, sinless is because he didn't have kids. Have you ever heard that? I don't think that's entirely true, but it is kind of funny. So parenting is really tough, for sure. In 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, Paul writes, Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Follow my example as I follow Christ. Now, he's writing to adult believers there, obviously, but I do believe this applies to parenting as well. So Paul's words should basically be our words. We should be living in a way that says to our kids, watch my example, listen to my words, see God in me. Now, as I said earlier, we're, we're clearly not perfect. We are going to fail. We're going to fail to model God perfectly to our kids, and that's where we get to model humility uh, even sometimes seeking the forgiveness of our kids, as hard as that can be. And we'll talk more about that in the future. So what, what's the application for this? The application is we as parents need to step back, and not in the heat of the battle, 
careful, not in the heat of the moment, but step back and try to look at our parenting, what we do, the decisions we make, and ask, am I reflecting God? Am I reflecting the character of a loving, compassionate, yet uncompromising God? And related to that, if someone from the outside were looking in and watching our parenting, would they be able to detect a deeper truth that we're trying to live out? Would they be able to detect that we are trying to reflect a perfect and holy and compassionate and uncompromising and amazing God? It's a good question. So let's pause here. Any thoughts or comments on anything we've talked about thus far, specifically having to do with modeling God, representing God to our, our kids? <clears throat> Any thoughts there? It's a scary thought, I understand. Okay, we'll move on. The other thing we have to give our kids an accurate picture of is how God's world works. Kids learn about God's world by experiencing it. And as parents, we are supposed to be the gatekeepers of those experiences. Now see, there's a continuum in parenting from, from very protective over here to very permissive over here. And with most things on a continuum, there are dangers at both ends, right? We see that a lot. Out here in the middle is that sweet spot. <clears throat> How do we find it? We want to convey an accurate picture of God and the world he created, but we don't want to do it with extreme, hands-off, permissive parenting because that teaches a child that they're on their own, that their parents don't care what happened to them. And if we represent God, then by extension, God doesn't care either or maybe he doesn't even exist. Children, fend for yourselves. Sorry about that. You're in control, which is actually a frightening position for children to be in. They do not want to be in control, though it seems sometimes they do. And along the way, these kids may experience things that they can never forget, including things that do lasting damage. They'll see things they can't unsee. They'll be exposed to things they're not ready to handle they may end up with those painful memories that some of us have that play on an endless loop in our minds and we wish we could go back and change history. And really scary is to think about what happens when these kids get older. They may come to you and ask a question that will keep you up at night, something down the lines of, Dad, why did you let me fill in the blank? Mom, where were you when, hmm, happened? Or where was God? Scary stuff. I can tell you that in my experience, I would say my parents probably erred more on the side of permissive. And I think back on experience that I, experiences that I had, and I go, I don't think they had a clue what was going on. I don't think they had any idea where I was or what I was doing. And that's where I picked up some of those things I would love to unsee now and experiences I would love to unexperience. And I've actually had this discussion with my kids. I said, you have to understand why I'm trying to protect you from this and why I'm saying no. Because I have experiences that I wish someone had said no to. I have things that I cannot undo. And I've seen things I can't unsee. I would like to spare you from that. So that's what permissive parenting sometimes does. Again, let's pause here. Any thoughts on that topic?
Yeah, yeah. Good, good to pray for God to give us <clears throat> that wisdom so we can <clears throat> show his character and, and be open and honest with your kids sometimes about sharing why, why you're making those decisions. Yeah, and anyone else. What about when you make a mistake? Yeah, she didn't say, didn't say if, she said when, right? Parenting is chock full of them. We'll talk about that you know, further. This is an area where, you know, as parents, we need to grow. <clears throat> and it really depends on you know, kind of the age and stage of the children. But man, it is, it is so important to model humility to your, your kids, especially as they get older. Um, we're going to talk about the difference between child-centered, parent-centered, and God-centered parenting. And we'll go into that in more detail. But some of the best teaching that I think we've had with our kids is when we've just been honest and said, you know, I completely messed up. Will you forgive me? Here's what I did wrong. You model what it looks like to actually seek forgiveness. Because to just say you're sorry doesn't mean anything. My kids will say, oh, I'm sorry. And I'll go, yeah, I am too. We're not done here. What else needs to happen? Well, will you please forgive me for, you know, and if you model that, when, not if, when you make mistakes, I think that's very powerful. Yeah. And that comes back to the whole thing where it's such a, such a tricky balancing act. You're, yes, you're representing God to your kids, but you're also representing an imperfect person being parented by God. So, I mean, you're kind of switching hats. Yeah. Any other questions? That was good. Thank you. All right. So what about highly protective parenting? There's danger there, too, when we shelter, protect, and insulate our children because we're insulating them from God's training ground, this whole real-world thing. So protective, or maybe you've heard the term helicopter parenting, it teaches the child that they can't actually handle anything. They shouldn't have to suffer the indignity of failure, and when they do, any loss will be absorbed by a benevolent parent with unlimited resources. Pain is to be avoided. Behavior becomes disconnected from consequences. Unpleasant experiences, they're usually someone else's fault. And if there is a God, he exists to make that child comfortable and provide everything he or she wants. And this is a path that can take people um, on basically to a distorted self-image and an entitlement mentality and sometimes lifelong immaturity. So there's the, there's the continuum and the dangers on both sides. And no matter where we fall on that continuum, ironically, as parents, we tend to think that we've found the sweet spot, right? It's kind of like driving. Have you ever noticed how when you're driving, anybody who's driving faster than you flying by is a madman? And anyone driving slower, you're like, what a loser. And it's, parenting is kind of the same way. You know, on that continuum, we tend to think that we have found the sweet spot. This is the right place to be. Ours is the perfect speed when we're driving, and ours is the perfect level of parental protection. So of parents that are more permissive, we might be inclined to say, I can't believe they let him do that. Good grief, why don't you just feed him to the wolves? And then if parents are more protective, we're thinking, she's in high school. What is her bedtime, 7 p.m.? You know, we tend to do that. So where, as Christian parents, should we actually fall on that continuum? So when does permissive become irresponsible? When does protective become stifling? So again, we find our answer in the nature of God and the example that he sets for us as he parents us. And we need to apply these principles on a child-by-child basis because it depends on their maturity level. So we know about God's divine filter, right? It protects us from things we aren't ready to face. So we're all familiar with the story of Job and how his trials came with God's stamp of approval through God's filter. And we also see God's filter clearly in 1 Corinthians 10, 13. Feel free to jot that down. No temptation has overtaken you, but as is common to man. And God is faithful. 
He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will provide the way of escape also, so that you will be able to endure it. So as parents, we should do all we can to protect our children from experiences that will overwhelm them or cause them lasting harm. So we love snow skiing, right? You wouldn't take your toddler and you click her into those adorable little 18-inch skis and then push her off the face of the mountain, right? God's strength is sufficient. You wouldn't do that, right? Nor would you let your 10-year-old boy watch a movie that was full of explicit imagery. Good parenting protects children from things they're not ready to face, from things they can't unsee and experiences they can't forget. But what do we permit, right? That's the big question. What do we permit? Again, back to God's example. Think about what he lets through his filter into our lives. He lets struggle, hardship, pain, loss, I could keep going. You get the idea. But all of these in the exact quantity that we can handle with his strength. All in perfect proportion to the amount of faith that we possess at the time. And all of it allowed into our lives to make us stronger, more mature, and more effective. So, James 1, 2 through 4, the passage we all love to hate. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its perfect results so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Now, that's not a passage that we typically think of in the context of parenting, right? I, I haven't really thought of it much in parenting. But if God is our example and we manage our children's filter, are we allowing them to encounter various trials? So with an understanding of their maturity level, we should be letting our children experience things that stretch and challenge them. When our children are stretched, they learn. When our children are challenged, they grow. And when our children are carefully bubble-wrapped to keep them safe, they stagnate. Our children need that struggle. They need to struggle. So they know they can push past their limits. Our children need to fall down so they can learn to get back up again. They need to fail. They can learn how to reflect on and grow from their mistakes. They need to be allowed to make bad decisions so they can learn to clean up their messes. And when they're ugly and selfish, which they will be, they need to learn to seek forgiveness from God and others and do better. See, we should allow our children to make mistakes when the stakes are low, to learn lessons where they can experience the loss and cover the cost and learn. See, it's better for a six-year-old to learn how to be diligent and responsible with a remote control car than for a 16-year-old to learn those lessons behind the wheel of a real car. Because, see, the six-year-old might destroy a toy. A 16-year-old might destroy lives. Learn the lessons when they're young. So here's the last thing that I'll share, and then we can talk a little bit more. See, good parenting lets God's real world, which we want them to learn about, right, the consequences, the loss, and the discomfort to do the teaching. Let God's world do the teaching. And as you filter those child's experiences, you make sure that you're doing your best to protect them from harm. And like I said, things they can never unsee or unexperience. But you're allowing the world that God has made and placed us in to teach them. So ponder this. Last thing I'll share and then we'll talk. What do you think drives truth more deeply into the heart of a child? A parent saying, don't do that. 150 times, 
or the child saying, I'll never do that again after experiencing real-world consequence and pain. It's obvious. It's the latter. That's the lesson they're going to remember. Okay, we've got a couple minutes left. I'd love to hear your thoughts on anything we've shared so far this morning, either anything I've shared or anything Dan has shared. Mm-hmm. Yeah, eight, the, obviously, you know, age is just a number, as we say. And uh, my, my, my caution would be nothing magical happens at that point. And if you haven't instilled those principles in the child from the time they're this age, you know, once they get that freedom, it may hit them like a tidal wave and they can make a lot of bad decisions. So, you know, we're ramping them up. We're trying to prepare them, essentially. They're in training for being let loose. And it, and it's, it should just be a natural transition Ideally, over time, it just happens a little bit more and a little bit more to the point where they're like, oh my gosh, I'm, I, I don't even need to have this constant correction in my life. And the other thing, too, you know, it, I don't mean it to sound harsh, you know, just let the kid out in the world and let the world teach him. Clearly, that's not what we're saying at all. And the other aspect that I, I didn't get into in great detail here is that when kids go out and they experience real-world consequences, you, you, you were basically preparing them Ideally, you filtered it. You may have stood there and watched it happen. You may have looked out to see that their favorite book was left in the backyard and you know a rainstorm's coming and you could go bring it in or you could let it stay out there and then in the morning say, yeah, honey, that's, that's tough. I'm so sorry that happened. That's, that's a bummer. Maybe you can you know, blow dry the pages or maybe you could buy a new one. I don't know, honey. Well, I'm, you know, that, that's what you do. You come along as a parent and you support them after they've experienced that pain. But the teaching happened not from you, but from their, their decision. It's a, it's a natural consequence. It's so much more powerful than you saying, how many times have I told you to not leave your books out in the rain? Wah, 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 wah. But that book gets destroyed, and the next morning they're in tears, and you've got the ultimate teachable moment. Come alongside and let them process that and say, you know what? I know you can do better. I'll never do that again. Oh, those are the words you want to hear. Oh, those are the best words in the world especially when you didn't have to put them in their mouths. Any other thoughts on that? We're almost out of time. It's, yeah, okay, so that's just how God puts marriages together, you know. I th really think that we're stronger as a result of the fact that we're not a clone of each other. But it's, it, it is hard, it really is. And that's where you just have discussions as, as parents, you know. There, there's, every time Kristen has 
done something, you know, in terms of parenting, and I've come after her, and I said, you know, honey, just a thought, maybe you could have, she's done that for me twice, so we, we do, the, you know, we do a post-mortem, and talk stuff through, and say, you were really harsh, you know, she'll say, you were really harsh with him, why were you, oh, because I was frustrated about this, and, and I'll go seek his forgiveness, and we'll all grow, and, and learn, but, you know, that is, I think, one of the strengths, is that we can kind of tend to balance each other out, our kids have jokingly said, mom cares more about our health, and dad cares more about our happiness, you know, I'm the one who's like, yeah, go do it. That'd be fun. Go for it. She's like, no, 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 no. And we find a happy medium. You know, we, we, we both make mistakes and we support each other. Yeah. Yes. Thank you. This is... Yes. Ooh, okay, my better half has uh, used some colorful language there, her, her, and her point is valid. Um, if, you, if you do that in front of the kids, it's very damaging. Uh, you have to present a unified front. You put on your smiles, even if it's plastic, and you just go down the hall, and you close the bedroom door, and you have your counsel, and you take care of it there and get it worked out, because she's right. They'll, they'll sense the division, and they'll start to plot, and they'll know who to ask for this and who to ask for that, and no matter what, there's going to be some of that. That's just how it goes. But present a unified front to your children. You're, you're a team. You guys work together. You, as far as they're concerned, you should share a brain. I mean, that's how they should just view it, that somehow the knowledge is passed back and forth and the decisions are the same. That's the goal. We fall short. But don't error out your parenting differences in front of your kids ever. Good advice. Thank you. Any last thoughts before we close? Say, having to say no over and over as they, as they repeat their, their folly, so to speak. Yeah, um, that's, uh, that's tricky. I mean, you, you mentioned also just losing patience. We could seriously talk for a whole month on, on patience and, and how anger becomes a part of parenting that we want to try and, try and control. Um, I guess my, my advice would be, and this I've found helpful in the heat of the moment, is to just try and take a deep breath, send up a quick prayer, and, and don't respond, you know, quickly. Don't respond reflexively and impulsively. In, in that little tiny gap, if you can somehow build a gap in there, if you can, if you can just have them take a, take a seat, or if you can send them to your room and you can buy just 90 seconds to get some clarity and perspective, it will often help you respond to that situation. So I don't know if that's relevant, but that, that you could find that helpful. Well, we are out of time. We're coming to that point where Dan said, stop mid-sentence if you need to. So let's pray and close. God, thank you so much for this time and, and uh, the wonderful yet heavy responsibility of raising up young people. Uh, we, we know that you're doing the work. Uh, we are stewards of these families and these children for as long as you have them uh, in our care. And that ultimately the, the work is yours, but we want to do our very best to represent you well in our families and teach our kids about how this world you created operates and let it do the teaching when we can 
But God, we pray for your, your wisdom and your help. We cannot do this without your strength. We are, are woefully inadequate to the task, but here we are. So bless us, Lord, with your grace, with your wisdom, as we wrestle with how best to parent these children you've given us. Thank you for this time, Lord. Amen.